Spectrum Health and Human Services is located throughout Western New York. For an appointment, call 716-539-5500. If you are in a crisis, you can call 716-710-5172. Their website is www.shswny.org. Hello, everybody. It is another Spectrum Health and Human Services collaborative episode with Room 9. And we are still going through the community of caring groups, which if you do not know what that is, if you have not listened to any of those other episodes, you should go check some of those out, at least parts of those, and find out what the different groups are about because these are all Zoom meetings and Spectrum has started these groups when they originally had us go into social distancing and shutdown mode. But in this episode, I sit down with Sandy Puffpath. And this was kind of an interesting conversation because it kind of went all over the place. There was some technical difficulties, some animal barking in the back, and all the other usual challenges and hurdles that come along with remote podcasting. But we kind of talked on some cool different topics. One, we got into a little bit of the political situation that's going on as far as the Black Lives Matter movement. She has work history with fostering kids, working with foster parents and troubled families and everything else. So Sandy talks about her experiences with raising and living with foster children and the importance of really just teaching them how to accept what they can't control and how to really start being able to express their emotions, which is something we can all learn and get better at because I feel like we all have trouble sometimes identifying those things. And we do actually talk about her community of caring group, which is crafts. And we kind of make a little joke about it in the beginning and laugh about it because it seems kind of cheesy. But really, the benefits of doing stuff like crafts and that for your mental health is really incredible. And we kind of get into that as well. So I hope you enjoy this episode. You can get to Spectrum's website at www.shswny.org. That's SHS wny.org and click on the community of caring link it is right there at the top and you can check out what they got going on as far as times and everything else sandy's group is on wednesdays at 2 30 p.m if you're interested in that i know she deals a lot with a lot of the younger teen adolescents kind of kids so if you have any teenagers or adolescents at home maybe you should check this out and that's all i got enjoy this and i will be in touch all right peace family of five so we have oh my goodness now five separate offices going on at one time where there's i have two high schoolers still so there's i'm actually high schooler after today so i have a middle schooler and a high schooler so it's zoom classes and zoom conferences and oh my goodness nonstop. where uh, have has have their schools had like classes online or is it just kind of because my girlfriend's a teacher and at West Seneca, and I know they kind of, nothing's been mandatory for them, essentially. Everybody kind of got a free pass. 
for the kids or the teachers? The kids. The kids did, yeah. I, I wouldn't say free pass for the kids in my district. I mean, they're getting boatloads of work with no instruction. Mm. So yeah. it's just complete assignments. So it's just like a semester's worth of homework with no actual tutorials other than self-tutorials. I have um, one of my kiddos has some extra support resources at school and his resource teacher She's not cut from the same cloth. She's nonstop. <laughs> I mean, she's just amazing. She has three Zoom classes a week. Uh, she's all over the kids and all their classes. She's just amazing. She's come to the front door with assignments. Oh, that's so, nice. It's nice when you yeah. have, I mean, even I remember when I was growing up and in school, those teachers that really care, I don't think they even realize that the, uh, the impact they have on kids. Right, right. Yeah, because that makes a huge difference. I mean, I was, my brother and sister died when I was 15, so I kind of checked out. And I remember, um, you know, some of the teachers would just, like, would give up on me. But the classes I still continued to actually do good in were the ones that that cared and, you know, really wanted to help and change lives. And they're tough to come by. I went to Buff State back in the 80s. And, you know, originally Buff State was called the Teachers College. That's, Mm -hmm. you know, its origin. So I was in a lot of classes with kids that were education majors. And I was was always in sociology and whatnot. And they would say, well, I just want to teach math. I don't want to be a nurse. I don't want to be a social worker. I just want to teach math. And I would sit there arguing, saying, please don't be a teacher and please stay away from my future children because (laughs) I mean, I mean, the fact is this is the institution that is the saving grace for most kids. You know, Mm -hmm. they go in that building and if they don't have a church connection, if they don't have a healthy home life, if they don't have um, extended family that's looking out for them, this is it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you got to be nurse. You got to be social worker. You have to be all all those those things. Yeah. And yep. a moral compass for them, too, because a lot of them need that. Yeah. My mom's a teacher. My sister's a teacher. My girlfriend's a teacher. It kind of just runs in the family. But, um, yeah, I mean, my mom works in the inner city. And some of them, that's the best thing they have going is actually going to school. And, Absolutely. And doing their thing. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a weird time. That's for sure. No doubt. That mm. is for sure. So when I talk to you on the phone, I know... Obviously, you're doing with the community of caring. That's what I've been kind of highlighting and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, you're doing like crafts and stuff, correct? Crafts and stuff, correct. Yes. So I I find I know, I mean, it's not that I'm not proud of crafts. Crafts are great and they have a purpose. But it, it's funny that my career has come down to being the craft lady. <laughs> it's, well, you know, 30 years of doing this and now I'm doing crafts. Making- Mm-hmm. Well, I well I've been doing you know uh, some research. Well, so this brought me to doing a lot of not a lot, a good amount of research on crafts and mental health. And okay, and there is a lot of like big studies, especially over in the UK. They did a lot of studies on how beneficial it is for mental health. 
And no you question, because that's what I think too. Well, crafts, but I mean, there's so much that comes from that community, and I mean, it's very meditative. You know, depending on what yeah. you're doing. And so, but I did want to talk about that, but I also want to hear what you're passionate about and what you really, what you went to school for, what you wanted to do, <laughs> no, what you, don't want to know what you've been you doing. <laughs> you want to know my story? Oh boy. Okay. I do. I want to know what you're passionate about. What gets you up in the morning besides your kids okay. and family? You know, and okay what you've been doing with Spectrum and, you know, give me the rundown. I'm interested. Okay. Okay. You ask, I'll tell. That's what I like. Open book. Open book. Hope I don't step on any toes. <laughs> I, I, well, my, I can always my... edit that out. Nope. Nah, don't do that. <laughs> Just because I don't want to step on any toes. My supervisor's husband is a police officer. And that's, a, that's interesting. Yes. And I love her. And I'm sure she has a lovely husband, maybe. Uh, I don't know. But I am going downtown at 430 today for a to join a rally. Okay. So yep. I don't think it's a conflict of interest. But no, my I don't, interest I don't is. Know. I know. I hesitated to send her an email. I mean, I have... I talk to her every day via email. And I was just a little hesitant because I know her to be a phenomenal person and she must be very torn right now. Yeah, it is interesting. I have, you know, some friends of the family who he's he's half black and is a cop. And mm -hmm. I and I just I, you know, I'm I'm curious too as to it's a it's a crazy time. I don't know. I you know, I just tell what I tell people is anybody just anybody who is ever thinks they won't let power go to their head when they are in a position of power is usually mistaken because eventually you're going to catch yourself slipping up and using that power as an advantage over somebody and you can see that when it's institutionalized and accepted why wouldn't you mm -hmm. i mean we as human beings we gravitate to what's comfortable and if bigotry and hatred and bias are the comfort zone in a system like a police force, which frankly is such a singular thing. You know, racism is so much bigger than the police. It's not the police. The police aren't the problem. I'm honestly, the police aren't the problem. Our society is the problem. Our laws are the problem. Our prosecutors are the problem. Our voters are the problem. Soapbox. Yep. Oh yeah. It's it's nuts. I don't know. I've been I've been frustrated with this entire country for quite some time and yeah. how, how everything's run and the whole you know, I, every other country that offers health care to other people offers yes. education to other people yes. that has decriminalized drugs and works to help people get uh, away from drugs and is helping people with mental health for nothing and it's not a money maker and i mean when you see those countries and how well they're doing you know obviously every right. country has their problems but you know and then you have people who blatantly argue against it like it doesn't work and i'm just like well, you, well obviously there's no reason to continue the conversation with somebody like that because they haven't done any research and they're not open-minded right to even right. change and I don't know. Unfortunately, I say it's when people about my father's age and up all kind of die off. I think that's when we'll really see a lot of change. How Sorry. old's your dad? Sorry, dad. <laughs> He's going to be seven, 70 soon. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, if you look in, if you go to Washington and check out the Senate and guess what? Yep. They're your dad's peers. They're all, you know, a bunch of old white men. Yep. That, you know, but it's not their fault that they're there. We put them there. We put them there. Yeah. I vote. That's true. I vote. I haven't been able to vote him out yet. Oh, that is I very tried. true. 
I've tried. I know it's it's a frustrating time. I'll, I'll tell you. Yeah, it never has not been frustrating for people that are conscious of you know certain things. Yes, I I agree. Yeah, it's I try I really stay away from so much news and like this guy I really enjoy, which I don't even know what his label would be something probably bizarre like ethnobotanist or something but he always talked about creating your own culture turn off the tv turn off the news stop reading the paper and just live where you are and create your own culture and i remember reading that and thinking about it and it's just like it's so true our ideas get you know it's really literally statistically the safest time ever in the history of mankind to be alive and people are the most fearful the most anxious you know the most depressed and it's just i think so much of it has to do with that at least a good chunk yeah, of it yeah it, it's it's when you're looking at numbers my oldest and i were just um, just looking at numbers and how this virus has taken like over a hundred thousand lives worldwide. Right. Mm -hmm. And world war one took like 40 million lives. World war two took 80 million lives. Holy and cow. it's like, that really puts things in perspective. Like the culture of the world in the, in 1919 and then the culture of the world in 1945 with like massive genocide and the numbers of death. And now we're just cut off at the knees hmm. with looking at, I mean, who's not horrified to hear about 100,000 deaths? It's horrific. But to wrap your mind around that being like a normal part of your life, History. if you live through World War II, World War III, World War III, oh Lord. <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> that was ominous foreshadowing, right? No, World War I and World War II, you know, and then the Korean War, the Vietnam War, like millions perished in those things. So it's just mind boggling when you try to wrap your head around the numbers and then think like we're ill-equipped to manage this emotionally. The mm -hmm. trauma from this is beyond, I don't know. And I think that we're going to be suffering for a long, long time from, I don't know. I don't think we have the resiliency that people had generations ago. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. I, You know, I always get in that kind of debate with myself because then I, I'm like, I'm always wondering, is that just something every generation says about the generation coming up? They don't have this or they're not that. And I always kind of go in that debate in my head. And then, you know, I don't know. I just always get in that debate. Like, is my... Yeah, is my... I mean, as human beings, we're going to persevere. There's no question. Yeah. And those numbers, when you look at them, it's like, okay, relatively speaking, we got this. We're fine. It's only 100,000. I mean, God forbid you have a loved one that's in that grouping because, yep. you know, it's all relative. It is. We would be okay. It is interesting. And then, you know, I wonder sometimes, you know, it's like we're also very overpopulated. And I often wonder, like, is this just the planet surviving, nature surviving and just trying to wipe some of us out? I don't know. But well, if it is, it's a... not doing it's not doing anywhere near as much as one of those wars did. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. So, I think... yeah. No, I, I, I get that theory. Like, you know, when you see video from around the world where wildlife is having a resurgence, you know, and animals are getting to roam free more than they have in probably decades and decades. And you think, wow, maybe, like you said, the planet's kind of speaking its own mind here. But then you think it's a drop in the bucket. I mean, really. No, Our yeah. population just out of how many, what is there? 1.3 billion or something stupid like that. Some gross number that I can't yeah. fathom. Yes. Yeah. It's, cr yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, the whole war thing, that's just a handful of people trying to make money usually is what I feel like that, that comes down to. Sure. Sure. There's money's always at the root of everything. Evil. 
everything. Oh my goodness. People who have so much money that they could spend millions and millions and millions of dollars a day for the rest of their life and still not make a dent in the money they have still trying to get as much money as they can. Yeah, my people da- over. About daily, my daughter will say, uh, the Amazon guy, what is it, uh, Bezo? Don't and, get me going. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody on the planet should ever be a trillionaire. That should never happen. That should not, that's a daily mantra for my daughter. A, I'm a like, tr- well, the a trillionaire who's asking for donations on his website to help the employees that he laid off. That's what really got me. Mm-hmm. Nice. Oh, man, that's what really nice. fired me up. I'm like, are you kidding me? No, he's not kidding. Like, how dare you? Not kidding. He dares to. Oh, he does. He's, he has the audacity and he's got the money to afford it. So to do whatever he wants. Yep. Uh, yeah. He can be the biggest jerk on the planet. He's also the richest. So that's a pass. Yeah, that's that's interesting. It's interesting. Man, to, for lack of a better word. <laughs> yeah. It's Vile. interesting. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. So how about crafts? <laughs> how about, you know what? I'm a little worried that someone has put my my television on pause and okay. I'm afraid it's just going to randomly unpause and be very loud and Go check annoying. it out. Okay. Yep. I'm kind of in my cocoon. It'll be one second. It's just You're fine. Take your time. I can edit all this uh, empty space out. So What was that? I said I can edit all this empty space out. You go for it. Take Are your time. Are we on? Oh, yeah. Are you I've, recording now? I've been recording. Yep. Oh, well, no, I won't do it then. I'll just send no, a text go. to some other human. Go do no, it. fine. I just, I, I always just hit record and edit out and pick the parts of the conversation. Ah. Okay, that's fine. That, that's what I'm always doing. I always kind of no just worries. bring it in at a certain point. And mm-hmm. my favorite compliment I ever got about the podcast was somebody just said, I felt like I was having coffee with you and your guest. Family of five. Yeah, I would imagine there's not too many places to go where somebody won't hear you. Story of my life. <laughs> Which is true. Which is true. We're, I'm very fortunate. The house is big enough that um, we've all managed to socially distance from each other as needed, which thank God for that. Yeah. Have you had to develop any kind of practices or routines with everybody? You know, it was very organic because day one, I was nine to fiving it with clients immediately. And obviously I want to protect, I I have an obligation to HIPAA. Mm -hmm. Um, So I had to distance myself physically. Then my daughter's doing the same similar work for the same company. So she did the same thing. And then my youngest in middle school with his Zoom classes, same thing. He's he's in a group of kids that all have special education needs. Okay. So we want to respect their privacy. So he got a spot and we did this simultaneously. Boy, that 10 o'clock hour is like the golden hour in here because everyone's buzzing. We have enough rooms. We're good. And then once the weather warmed up, I take my off outside sometimes. Oh, you got to. Especially, in, yeah. uh, although it's been, it's been a, a, biz, a bizarre spring slash whatever it is, 98 degrees, and then it's 60 degrees. <laughs> Back and forth. It's been strange. I mean, that's, that's the yo-yo of Buffalo weather all the time. It very much well is. Yes, it is. Yeah. So, what, Sandy, what brought you to uh, the Spectrum? How, how long have you been there? I've actually just been here shy of two years. Okay. And what's, uh, what was your, your story before that? My story before that, I've done social services, family counseling, foster care work for years and years and years. 
for a lot of different local agencies. I worked in housing, so that meant every population, homelessness, domestic violence. I worked for the YWCA when housing was a really big issue for women and children and people with a mental health diagnosis. So I did that for probably about 10 years. I started fostering children, so I fostered about 20 children along the way. So at a certain point, I went uh, part-time. So for about 20 years, I only worked part-time because I was parenting a lot of humans. Then I adopted a couple of them, and I had a couple biological ones. So hence the family of five. I have four kids. Two of my furry kids have entered the room, which hopefully they won't bark. They were not invited, and they were locked out of the room. (laughs) I came to this position, friend had referred me and said, Sandy, you're going to love this position, blah, 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 described it. And she was right. It's the best job I've ever had, honestly. Awesome. And what is your official title at Spectrum? The official title is Psychosocial Rehab Specialist. Okay. It's always so a mouthful. I work, yeah, right. So uh, PSR, and I work exclusively with children under 17 or up to 17. Uh, Usually I try not to work with kiddos younger than like seven or eight, just because the concept of rehab, I, in my mind anyways, I think, you know, you want to rehab back to a safe, healthy level playing field and the little guys are still developing. So we're not, we got to let them develop and kind of catch some concepts and learn. And so they're open to learning new stuff to get back on track. So whether it be regarding the mental health diagnosis, socialization, things at school, community, how they're getting along, mostly connecting their feelings to their behaviors and developing the skill set to understand how to self-regulate and cope with their environment, cope with their internal feelings. I kind of use this tagline with children where I say, you know, you've got this whole team rooting for you. You know, your mom and dad or grandparents, whoever your grown up is, they want the best for you. They want you to feel great. Your teachers, your uh, church community, your, uh, your mailman, whoever is in your life that cares about you really wants what's best for you. But really, none of those people know how you feel better than you. Hmm. So you're the authority. You're the boss. As the boss, you got to know some stuff. So let's develop a vocabulary of words that are feeling words. So what does it mean? Yeah, happy, sad, angry. Everybody's right there all the time. But especially with children, especially with children of trauma, and especially with children with some kind of diagnosis, that anger is usually just superficial. It's usually guilt and shame and confusion and hurt, you know, whatever their stuff is. So we really start just kind of giving those words a definition that we, I always say, we're not opening up Webster's Dictionary here. You and I are going to define this word so we both agree what it means and we can use it later. So we start like that and then we start connecting like, how do we express these? Now kids immediately, you know, what is anger? Well, anger is when I punch the wall. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Well, anger is a feeling. And then we, you know, is anger good or bad? It just is just like happiness. Happiness isn't good or bad. It just is. It's an emotion as an emotion. We acknowledge it. We shine a light on it. We validate it, right? We validate whatever their feelings are. And then we say, okay, now let's talk about those behaviors like punching a wall. Where do we get from point A to point B? Is punching the wall going to guess where we want to be? That even playing field, that ability to work toward joy, you know, work toward getting just some relief, some happiness, right? So we start working on how how we can calm down and 
have some clarity and ground ourselves. And that's where all the mindfulness comes in. And yep, hence crafts. Hence crafts. Well, it's amazing. I want to kind of go back to when you talked about you know, validating and shining a light on what we're feeling. And I remember so much in my life, even a young age, up until really a few years ago, until I really finally decided to go in on the inward journey and really take care of what I needed to take care of in my individuality. And just finding what you're feeling and saying it's okay to feel this, like as if as if you had any kind of control of what you are feeling, what emotions are coming towards you. And we try to almost you feel guilt, you feel shame sometimes for feeling whatever it is you're feeling. Can you imagine shame on top of, you know, to have the shame? You're already feeling ashamed and then you're ashamed of having that feeling. <laughs> yeah. And and to be seven years old, it's overwhelming. It's insane. So it, it isn't. It is insane. <laughs> I, I will say to children, especially when I have I work with a lot of adolescents and, you know, there's a little built in resistance there, which, you know, is absolutely understandable. But to try to validate me and the work I do, I tell them I'm not doing this because you're a child. This exact same work I do with adults. I don't I don't choose to work with adults, but this is the exact same approach I would use with an adult. I don't dumb down to your age. I treat everyone the same. And most adults, this is not like, you know, a middle school curriculum that any of us got. You know, we are all on this journey to figure it out. And the reason why so many adults are still struggling is because they didn't get this stuff. Mm -hmm. And they need validation too. And I tell the kids, you know, a little aside is you're going to know your feelings and you're going to develop these skills that some adults around you don't have. And it's true. It's a difficult, difficult journey. And to have the ability to educate these kids about what's going on inside their own body. And then, you know, you compound significant mental health disorders. And then um, the struggle of whether or not they're on medication and how those medications work. And then when they don't work and how they can really express that to a prescriber. They're the authority on their body. They need to have a language to use and a voice that's heard. So they can say, you know what? I don't feel right when I take this medicine because of X, Y, Z. I know I feel differently now. And to get that language out there and to just empower them with that is everything. Yeah, it absolutely is. Even to be able to identify anything in your life is like the beginning and really more than half the problem. There is this uh, clinical psychologist I like, and he talks about this kid's story. Um, what the heck's it called? There's a dragon in the room or something. Anyway, that's not the important part of it. The story is. And anyway, this kid has this dragon about the size of a cat and tells his mom. And his mom says there's no such thing as dragons. And the dragon keeps getting bigger every time the mom denies the existence of the dragon. To finally the father comes home and says, you know, there's a dragon in the house and it's ripping everything off. And then the dragon gets smaller. And he always kind of just talk. I mean, that's the first step of anything in life is you can't change anything. You can't develop a way to change anything until you can name it and agree on what it means. And that is such an important role with anybody in life. And as you said, to I mean, I feel like it's inevitable to hurt a child, whether you mean to or not, like whether it's 
physically, emotionally, you know, psychologically, we all do it. I always say our jobs as parents are to screw our kids up. No matter what, we like to do that. <laughs> and, you know, I feel like it's such a inevitable thing. And then you have like really crappy situations where kids are abused and physically, sexually, emotionally, intentionally. And I mean, I can't imagine that that journey of I mean, it's definitely, I imagine, is not an overnight fix. <laughs> no, no. Lifetime pain, lifetime healing. Yeah, it's tough. And like I said, it's it, these kids aren't in a bubble. They're dealing with parents that have addiction issues, parents mm. that have uh, domestic violence in their home, poverty. So lack of resources, lack of transportation, co-pays on services. I'm so grateful there's no copay on my service. I'm just a freebie add-on, which is that's lovely nice. because that's one of the first things. Like I'll call a parent when I get a referral and I'll offer these services and they're like, well, I don't think we can do twice a month. And I'm like, if this is a financial thing, I like to kind of put it out there. It's, it's, there's there's no financial hardship in getting the service. So, and And transportation isn't an issue. Pre-COVID, I physically can go to children. Awesome. I find them where they are. So I very often have my first meeting in their living room. And it, it's definitely not clinical in their living room. So it's very casual. And I play a lot of games. And I do do a lot of crafts, a lot of hands-on stuff. It's funny because I have, you know, all the sensory things because I'm really big into, you know, how kid is feeling, how we experience the world around us is through our senses. Mm. So that's a big part of our dialogue is talking about, you know, what kind of input is this? Are you feeling this? Are you uh, smelling this? Are you hearing this? And then when we go toward finding devices that help us calm down, we talk about sounds, you know, what's a soothing sound? What's a smell that's a, a sensory memory that's good? And, you know, like chocolate chip cookies. Mm -hmm. So guess what? I come with chocolate chip cookies a lot of the time, <laughs> you know, they, and I also see kids in the community. So I'll meet a kid out at Tim Hortons in the middle of Yorkshire or wherever. And um, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to hook them up with a chocolate chip cookie if we're there for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. That that initial visit, I think, in the home, I've, I get a general consensus from people that that is always so much like chilled out and people open up a little more and more so much more comfortable where they're at. It, it's kind of like uh, maybe 60, 40, because yeah. some people don't have homes that are open and receptive to strangers. Hmm. And that can be a positive or a negative. I mean, that comes goes back to my foster care training, which I, I'm certified as a trainer. So I've done a lot of home studies in other people's homes, but I've had home studies in my home. So I can definitely relate to having, especially having fostered and adopted I've had so many social workers that come in with the sole purpose to judge. So having, especially, you know, when people are used to people coming in their home with a judgmental eye, it's a little different. I walk in with my lanyard around my neck with my work ID and I'm just kind of the man. And it's like, no, we got, so I have to kind of uh, get my street cred that I'm okay. And I'm on their <laughs> side and this is only voluntary and we're just looking to meet your goals and that's it. There's no negative stuff going on here. There's no judgment whatsoever. And it's usually pretty good. But if, if people don't want me in their home, I don't, I don't bat an eye, no big deal whatsoever. 
you, yeah, I, I don't think, I think if you're sensitive to that, you wouldn't be in the position you're in and doing the things you're doing because that'd be a... Uh... Oh yeah, no, I'm. It, it's pretty impossible to insult me or embarrass me. I don't care. Good, well, that makes two of us. I can't even imagine. I'm sure you've seen a lot of kids and crazy pain. What an important role you have. I think it's it's awesome and you seem extremely passionate. Sure, I mean, I always, outside people will say, you know, wow, that's got to be such a hard job, or how do you not get sad or upset? And it's 100% the opposite. I look at these kids that don't have to talk to me at all. And I've lost zero kids in my caseload during this whole situation. So when you go switch over from face to face to telephone, kids aren't really receptive to talking Mm -hmm. on the phone. And all of my kids are still working with me. And my caseload has grown since this COVID thing all started. And I always tell people, these kids are looking for their joy. Come on. They're on their way in a really healthy trajectory, right? Which the people that are asking me how sad my job is, I put it back on them. Are you? (laughs) Are you on a trajectory to joy? Because they are. And I get to witness that firsthand and watch the changes. And they pay me money to do it. So, no, I don't have a sad job at all. Yes, they have. They have history, for sure. They have significant trauma history. Yes, there's a lot of sexual abuse history and trauma and pain. And they've witnessed a lot of very young children with PTSD. I mean, it's just wrong that these little kids have not been protected from the atrocities of the world in their own homes sometimes. So yeah, it's horrific. And to acknowledge that it's horrific doesn't make me feel great. But it exists regardless of my feelings about it. So now what? Now what? Should we just say that's too painful a job to do? No, it's not. It, the pain is that we have a world that this stuff happens in. Mm-hmm. So there's no pain in being a part, a small part that I am, in helping things get a little bit better. No, that's great. It's all well, good. Yeah. No, I mean, that, that's that's rewarding in, in the long run. I have often thought about people who work in hospice and I, you know, I've talked with several people who've done that and they say, you know, it's it is a very rewarding job in the end to be with somebody at their last moments and their last last few breaths. Right. On this, this yeah. Planet is it it's an you... honor. It's an honor to have that role for mm-hmm. sure. I, I uh, actually worked with a, a nurse in hospice that was becoming a foster adoptive parent. And yeah, it was her pleasure to do that work. And I've, I've, I've actually, we had hospice when my mom was sick. And they're some of the most incredible human beings working there. Yeah, yeah, I've definitely, I mean, the few people I've met who have worked there have been amazing people as well. Have you, I like to ask people this question, and it's usually kind of the same answer, but have you, like, from a young age, have you always kind of had this nudge to help and work with people? So the story goes like this. My mother was born before nine boys. Wow. So it was my mother, and then my grandmother had nine boys after her, lost three of them, but raised six boys after my mother. And the youngest was certainly older than me, but maybe less than 20 years older than me, maybe. So grandma's house was the Christmas house. We were always there. And so I was around these uncles a lot. And they would make these jokes about being foster kids all the time. And I didn't know what a foster kid was or why it was a joke and why it was funny. And the story that I tell, because I I believe I was around seven Mm -hmm. when I actually said, mom, 
why, why, did, why do uncle so-and-so and so-and-so always make these jokes about being foster kids? And she said, well, foster children are children that can't be with their families while their families get better. So they go to other homes. And I said, well, what about my uncles? I, I don't, their last name is Foster. Oh. <laughs> so the joke was they were foster children because they were children yeah. with the last name Foster. But my mother planted that seed when I was seven years old, telling me what a foster child was. And we're talking a long, 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 long time ago because I'm very old. So we're <laughs> talking like 1974. That's how old. I was seven in 1974. That's how old I am. So it was always on my radar. It really was. And when I got married, I told my husband just out of the blue, oh, yeah, I don't, we haven't discussed fostering, but I'll be fostering eventually. We'll be fostering eventually. And <laughs> but you told him after you got married? Yeah, I, I, we were on our honeymoon and I just blurted it way. out. Like it wasn't, yeah, but it wasn't even, a, it was like, oh, by the way. Yeah, exactly. And then we had our son and then we had our daughter and, you know, life. And then one of my, I was working at the YWCA and one of my employees came to me and asked me to be, I, I was supervising a program and she asked if I'd sponsor her to become a foster parent. And I said, oh yeah, who do I talk to? And she gave me the name. It was an agency that I was somewhat familiar with because I had worked with them before. And I said, oh yeah, let me give her a call and Maybe I'll have an orientation as well. Called my husband and said, yeah, we're going to do this orientation. I scheduled it. And he was like, we don't, you know, he's, we don't need to do that. We've got two healthy kids. Can't we just like be done? And I'm like, yeah, we don't need to do this, but we, we're going to do this. So he's, I said, just come to the classes. So class one, he's like, I don't know if I need to be here. I don't know if we need to do this. Then it was class class two, class three, class four. And it was like the running joke in the room because he was the most vocal and passionate. And mm. uh, then, you know, 20 kids later. <laughs> yeah. What is, so what, what is that experience like? Cause I feel like you develop a relationship and then you see, you see this child go. So I, in my work, I had worked with a lot of birth families. I had worked with a lot of clients that were in a homeless shelter and had to advocate that, you know, being homeless does not make you a bad parent. Therefore, you know, the foster care system should not be part of that in and of itself. That's where, you know, we push in with services and get the deficits taken care of in terms of the housing or if it was domestic violence, whatever it was. So I had been working and supporting birth mothers for a long time. So when I transitioned over to become a foster parent, I had great relationships with all the birth parents because I had done that for a living for so long. And my ex-husband is a school teacher, so he had worked with children his whole career as well. Mm -hmm. So I tell people that are considering fostering that as long as you're there for the right reason and you understand that the real work is reunifying a family and getting them the structure, the support, the services that they need to be whole. And that's what makes a child the healthiest and the happiest. Mm -hmm. So maintaining a family unit and never breaking any healthy connections is really the foundation of doing it right. But we all know that there are so many obstacles that sometimes they can't be overcome. And when that happens, laws had changed around that time in, in the 80s to, I think it was the 80s, the Clintons changed some rules to help children not age out of foster care, but actually be freed for adoption at a certain point. 
So mm. usually like 18 months a parent has to put their stuff together, get the services they need, and hopefully get the support they need um, to turn things around. But if they don't, for whatever reason, the child's future isn't at stake. You know, there, there is a commitment from the foster family to adopt if, if and when that becomes necessary. And if not, the child can be placed with a family that is ready to make that lifetime commitment. I never had bad kids. I'll tell you that <laughs> I had a lot of adolescents and they had a lot of stuff going on, but you know what, to come into my home and sit down at a kitchen table where everybody sits down, they have a place to sit, they have a chore to do and they have an abundance of food. There's never a no on any kind of food. And just to see that, you know, we argue and we make mistakes and we do all that normal stuff, but no one's getting hurt. No one's getting demoralized. No one's getting talked down to. It's just, if I have you for a day, I planted a seed. So maybe you're not going to go home to that same environment. But when you become an adult, maybe that's an environment you can recreate with your own family when you're making the choices. You know, it, there is sometimes one of the difficult things um, I have to deal with is um, helping children accept what they can't change. Mm. I have children that have sometimes brilliance beyond their years and brilliance beyond their environment. Sometimes they're better, smarter, faster than their own parents. And the struggle is you're living under their roof and it's their rules until it's not. Mm -hmm. And you have to, you know, accepting that, accepting their life where it is. And when they recognize how uh, dysfunctional it is. That's probably my biggest challenge because it's sad. They have to go home to some bad stuff and they know it, you know? So it's okay. Now this is, let's, let's validate it as real and awful. Now what? You still got to go to school. Still got to get good <laughs> grades. You still got to eat healthy, you, you know, and give them the resources that we can internally and environmentally and hope for the best. It's rough. That is. Yeah. No, that is. I mean, I can't imagine. I, I think, I thank God, even like I said, my brother and sister died. That either kind of throws a family apart or brings them together. And I am very grateful in my life, especially at the age of 15, that it really brought my entire, even my extended family on my mom's side, it really brought us all closer together. And I still have a younger sister. And it's just, you know, it's it's crazy to have to go home to something that is completely out of your control which is so many things in life, honestly. I mean, when you when you look at it. And I mean, we have to teach adults how to deal with uncertainty. And I just recently, yeah. I've gotten into video production with my company and I was kind of just doing a sit down with my mom, sister and girlfriend about my addiction. And one of the questions was, what did my substance use teach you about uncertainty? And that was, it's such a crazy question because I mean, so much in life when you look at it is uncertain. And that's a, right. a tough thing that, I mean, adults, like I said, adults don't even know how to deal with it. And to be able right. to be teaching kids that is awesome. Yep. Yeah, that, that's that's great. But yeah, so we'll get get into, we'll finish off with, I do want to, because it sounds so after all of that to say crafts, but I don't want to let go of that because you, the community of caring thing is awesome. I think, again, just the words, obviously, community and caring and it's really i think is starting to grow i really enjoy the whole you know karm is i just did a podcast with her she is an incredible human being i mean julie's awesome i talked with heather and i'm just kind of going mm -hmm. around the whole the whole group and i think it's something spectrum has done to really step up for the community and kind of 
just say, hey, we're still here and we're still getting together. And what, right. what, go ahead. So we, we have both the community of caring and we have therapeutic groups. Mm-hmm. So therapeutic groups are for people that are our clients that are getting services at Spectrum. And we have that ability now with the Zoom groups to provide that, that kind of support. But the community of caring is everybody out there. Because like we've just been discussing, everybody's struggling. Everybody's on that journey to find joy, right? And this is absolutely open to whoever you are. You can be completely anonymous. This is your living room. This is your backyard. Wherever you want to, wherever you are in the world, you can join in. And it can be a little bit of escapism. It can be just something that is self-care. So you can take that little bit of time to give yourself something and we're there to offer it. So that ability to do that is a pleasure and a absolute gift that we can, that we can do it, you know, for us to be Mm -hmm. able to give is great. Now crafts, you know, again, not to minimize their significance, but whenever I'm doing a craft and I do run the uh, group for children, most of them are ADHD. Most of them are, coming physically into a group in the office before COVID. And it's amazing to see children that are struggling with focus. When you put some crafting items that are colorful or shiny, or again, with the sensory, and we, we will run the checklist, like how are we experiencing this, guys? Like glitter, like the sparkle of glitter or the sound of, you know, just the sound of water. You know, when you just shut off all the other sounds and focus on that and what that does. So we make glitter jars that are liquid and glittery and bright colors with lots of secret shiny things inside. It's incredibly calming and grounding. And then the process of making it. So having that ability to like, say I made this for myself and it's an actual tool and we call them tools. Like when we make a stress ball, that's a tool to use moving forward Mm -hmm. to calm down and ground. So yeah, the making of it is crafty, but, and not everything is, ends up being like a coping tool, but a lot of them are where you can walk away and have something in addition to the experience itself. But the experience itself is fun and a lot of um, different textures and usefulness. I hope. Oh, I'm sure it is. I'm sure. Like I said, I was doing some, some really some research on it and there's been, been some pretty big studies on, crafts and even helping people with dementia and who have had a stroke and all that and it's been it's been kind of eye-opening for me because I kind of had that like crafts like you know I always kind of obviously gathered it's at least community coming together but to really see how it can help people's mental health that was even uh, educational for me so I, I you know I've learned a lot of a lot of new things over the last few weeks but all right Sandy well to wrap things up here what um your kind of your your final thoughts concerns when is the community of caring group i will obviously put that in the it's information every wednesday at 2:30 live okay and then i believe they're just posted for you to see anytime you want on the website awesome awesome well i have really enjoyed talking with you i'm chatty yeah well these always go fast that's why i'm like i know when at least when it comes to good, productive, honest, open, communicative, vulnerable conversations. I can do it forever. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I, I get that. I always enjoy it. So thank you so much. I will, I will send you an email. I don't know if you want to listen to this, but I'm, I think I have what one, one spectrum podcast to put out before this. I'm kind of just doing a weekly. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to listen to the unedited version. Let me know if you want anything out of it. I usually offer that. No, to people. hearing my own voice is a bit cringy for me. Oh, uh, you don't get used to it. 80, what I've done, 86 episodes. And I still can't stand hearing myself talk. And then it's yeah, like, I said no one. I said earlier no one can really embarrass me or uh, hurt my feelings, but I can embarrass myself real easily. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna be. You put out whatever you want to put out, and I'm gonna pretend it doesn't really exist, and I'll listen to everyone else's. <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's fun. Oh, I yell at myself. I'm like, if you, what do I like to do? I like to say, you know, a lot, like just randomly, like at the end of a question, you know, and I'm like that drives me nuts. I hear myself saying things that annoy me all the time oh as they gosh. come out of my mouth. So many repetitive I, I words. Lo- I'll say lovely, and then I'll say it six more times in the same conversation. Um, what? <laughs> stop. Stop. Don't do that again. Pick and another the, word. And once you notice it, it, it's over. It's over. Yes. Yeah. It's too late. It's too late. <laughs> all right. What are you so going to do? Take it easy. Thanks so much um, for having me. No problem. You are awesome, and I will be in touch. Okay. Sounds good. Right. Take care. Yep. Bye.